Welcome to the Inspire Church podcast. We are a church being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and living in the rhythms of life, seeking the good of the city for the glory of God. Today, we're currently meeting a one-to-one grant match. Please consider giving so we can meet our match. If you'd like to give, you can give at inspirechurches.com. Be blessed. Um, this morning, we are finishing out our mini-series. It's been a three-week series that we've entitled Money Motives, amen? And I think the last couple of weeks, we said that if you're a first-time visitor, congratulations, you came on the day where we're talking about money, and, um, and so, but hopefully we can do it in a way that is redemptive. Some of you might feel a little triggered right now. That's okay. We're just going to trust that the Holy Spirit is going to do His work um, and believe that the Word of God is the Word of God, Amen. Amen. And so before we kind of dive into the text, just by way of introduction, um, did you know, and some of you are like, well, duh, that God cares, uh, uh, well, actually, God doesn't care about your money as much as he cares about your heart. And that's really kind of been, that's really kind of been the focus of money, the motives, right? It's not necessarily what's taking place on the outside, but it's really what is motivating on the inside. Um, So he doesn't necessarily care about your money. After all, he is king over everything. He owns everything. Um, He he is in no need of financial aid. Um, And yet, he still calls his people to give, partners with his people to give. Because in giving, where your treasure is, Jesus says, that's your heart will be there also. And so... I want to kind of prove it to you in Luke. Uh, one day, Jesus was in the synagogue, and he observed a lot of the rich folk making a show of their giving. Yeah. And immediately, I think back to some of the services I've been to in my life, where I've come in, and, you know, even if it was genuine, right? Like, not everyone is a wolf on purpose, <laughs> but even in sometimes a church trying to be genuine, sometimes we can make a show of giving. Right? We give out plaques, we give out awards, we put up pictures. Um, these are some things that churches can do. And I'm not going to sit here and condemn all the churches that do this. But it, I just started to think sometimes we can probably put a lot of emphasis on those who give the biggest amounts. Are you with me? So one day Jesus was in the synagogue and he observed kind of the rich folk, the more wealthy folk, kind of jump into the front of the line and really making a big show of their giving. And then he observed a poor widow, a woman who had lost her husband, a woman who was impoverished. And she went up to the collections and gave two mites. And this is kind of a really short story that was included in Luke's gospel. But this short story really illustrates kingdom economics. You see, though she gave significantly less, and though the rich were applauded and possibly awarded for giving significantly more, Jesus turned to his disciples and he told them that her offering was of more value than the rest. Now, how is that possible? Well, Jesus tells us the wealthy gave out of their abundance. In other words, they gave what they could afford to lose. You with me? 
they could afford to give that away and still be comfortable. But she gave from her poverty. She gave all that she had. She gave sacrificially. And I struggle with this, to be honest. I struggle with this illustration. Because I don't ever want to tell somebody to give their last dime. Right? You know, as a pastor, people always ask me, hey, people, you know, to give, how do you, how do you disciple your people in giving? And to be honest, like, ah, I don't do it too often. But, you know, when I have a conversation, I sit with one, somebody who's genuinely in a bad place. You know, I don't, I don't really tell them that, man, God commands you to give. I really want people, um, whether it's a single mom or somebody who's down on their, I really don't want to manipulate or really ask them to give. And yet, here Jesus is looking at this woman who gave everything and saying that she gave more than those who gave a lot. And so, I, I, I think... How is it possible that one could give so radically, so sacrificially, and so joyfully? Like, I think all three of those words are, you know, radically, sacrificially, or just sacrificially and joyfully. Like, those two words feel like that's not possible. Like, either I'm going to give sacrificially, or I'm going to give joyfully, but I don't know if I can do both. Right? How is it possible for someone to give out of their poverty? How is it possible for someone to give what they can't afford? And how is it possible for them to do that regularly and sacrificially? I, and I think the answer is this. Well, I know the answer is only the grace of God. Yeah. Yeah. Only by the grace of God. So I've entitled our final message this morning, A Grace to Give. A Grace to Give. Because I think that there are many folks who want to give and maybe feel like they can't give. And I feel like we desperately need a grace to give. We need something above and beyond ourselves. Something that will empower us. Something that will confront our worry, our doubt, our fear, our Bay Area anxiety. We need something more than willpower. We, we need a grace. We need a grace to give. And so if you don't mind, I'd like to pray again as we get into today's text. Um, I want to say this again, congratulations if you're here for the first time, we're talking about money and I'm probably going to, you know, little pastoral correction might happen today. So just be a fly on the wall <laughs> uh, today um, and I will do it graciously and gracefully and just hopefully the Holy Spirit will speak. So pray for me as I pray for you. Um, I'm going to pray. I, I pray you would pray for me to be graceful to be gracious, um, and that I'll pray that you would hear what the Spirit is saying. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, um, I'm asking for grace to communicate your word this morning. Holy Spirit, I'm praying that you would take the sermon and as I've heard other pastors say, that you would preach a better message than me. So that everyone in this room would be able to walk out of here, whether it's their first time here or they're a longtime member of Inspire, they'd be able to walk out of here and say, I've heard from the Lord this morning. I've been exhorted, I've been encouraged, I've been challenged, and I want to continue to look like Jesus. And I pray most importantly, the grace of God. 
God, your grace would fill this room, empower us, empower the hearer, and empower the speaker so you would be glorified. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, even though it's a little dark in here, which is beautiful, turn with us uh, to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Sometimes you got to get the hotel, you know what I mean? The hotel vibe, you're trying to so got to turn the lights down just a little bit, um, just in case there was a little party or something. I remember early on, first couple of years, remember that, Crown Plaza, those of you who were here? And we'd walk in, be a little throw up on the side, some Heinekens in the back. Then I realized that wasn't the party last night, that was our setup team. No, I'm kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Hey, when you're planting a church, you know what I mean? You're booty. You're planting a church. Hey, 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 you can breathe. Can you help? <laughs> you know? <laughs> cool. I'm off to a good start. Second Corinthians chapter 8. We are going to read the first nine verses. So Second Corinthians chapter 1. I'm um, sorry, chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. Apostle Paul writing a letter to the church at Corinth. Um, we're landing right smack dab in the middle of this letter in which Paul is going to start addressing their, their giving. And, um, and so hopefully I'll do my best to catch you up to speed. And, um, and we'll go watch the 49ers um, get a win. Amen. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 9 reads like this. This is Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. There it is. We want you to know about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, fascinating, have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Man, if you have a highlighter, if you just want to go back, that, just that sentence right there in verse 2. He says, we want to know, he says, he's saying this, I want you to know about the grace of God taking place in the churches in Macedonia, and he's going to explain it, in their severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, and their extreme poverty, they have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Verse 3, for they gave according to their means, Amen. What does that mean? That means that they made a certain amount of money and they gave proportionately. But listen to what he says. And I can testify beyond their means. So they gave according to their means as I can testify and beyond their means of their own accord. Amen. They weren't manipulated. Right? They weren't lied to. They gave willingly of their own accord. Praise God. Verse 4. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. And then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you, Corinthians, this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, so now he's talking to the, he just talked about the churches in Macedonia, now he's talking to the churches in Corinth, to Corinth. He says, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, 
but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know the grace of Christ? He says, for you, church, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Amen. Amen. So in this section of Paul's letter, he's telling the church in Corinth about the extraordinary generosity of the church in Macedonia. In their efforts to bring relief to the church in Jerusalem. Are you with me? So let me try to explain that. It would be like Paul writing a letter to the churches in the East Bay. And he's telling the churches in the East Bay, I want you to collect offering for the churches in the North Bay. Because they're going through a difficult time. And in his letter to the churches in the East Bay, he tells them about the extraordinary generosity of the churches in the South Bay. How they were poor, how they were afflicted, how they were broke. And yet they collected more money than you in order to send relief to the churches in the North Bay. And so Paul is telling the East Bay churches that they need to step their game up. In fact, he says, you need to complete. He says, hey, Titus. In other words, hey, Philip, you're the pastor of that church. Complete what you started a long time ago. Because what happened was the churches in East Bay had started to collect money, but didn't follow through. And so Paul's saying, hey, I urge you to follow through. And I'm going to tell you a story about a church that did above and beyond in order to inspire you to be more generous. Does that make sense? Hopefully it does. That's the best I got for y'all. So here's what I want to do today. I just want to talk about the three churches. I want to talk about the church in Jerusalem. I want to talk about the church in Corinth. And then I want to talk about the, church, the churches of Macedonia. You see, the church in Jerusalem, which you don't hear a lot about in this particular portion of the text, was desperately in need of relief. They had been depleted according to the book of Acts. I think it was chapter either 4 or 11. <laughs> Should have made note. But they had been depleted by famine and ongoing persecutions against Christians in the city. It, it would be like Inspire Church navigating through a severe season of recession. Can you imagine our church, the condition of our church? If many folks started to lose their jobs, right? Because usually what would happen is when we start to lose our jobs, we immediately begin to hold our funds. And so imagine Inspire Church going through a severe recession. But then also compounded, imagine if the local government officials started to persecute the churches in Union City. So imagine if Inspire Church was not only going through a severe recession, but specifically was being targeted by law enforcement. So imagine them freezing our assets. Imagine them hauling off Pastor Roger to jail and stripping the leaders of their properties and their homes. That's what persecution would look like. They'd go after the pastors first. 
And they would strip them and key leaders of all of their belongings. Imagine the chaos. Imagine what would we do? What would this church do? And so Paul is saying that we need to gather funds. We need to come alongside and help our brothers and sisters, right, in Jerusalem, which really is a whole other sermon in itself because there's too many churches. It's like us four and no more, as if you're the only church that exists. I can go off on a tangent, but I don't have a lot of time. And so this urgent collections of funds, listen, is not so that there would be more effective ministry in the city. And that's totally great. And that's what we should be doing. But this urgent collection of funds is literally for the survival of the church in Jerusalem. And not just the church corporately and organizationally, but the individual members of that church, including its leadership, that's being stripped of their belongings. Are you with me? New Testament professor, and I'm going to do my best to say his name correctly. I looked for it, tried to figure out a way to say it correctly, um, but I'm going to do my best. New Testament professor from the University of Rwanda. You ready for this? I'm not. It's Viator Habarurema. Habarurema. Where's Rachel when I need her? Rachel, I feel like you probably would get this. Viator Habarurema. Trust me, it looks like that. Somebody said, no, thanks. You, New Testament professor, the University of Rwanda, I should have just said that, right? You guys are like, yeah. Considers this text, and I'll send, I'll send his name out to a few. You think you can get it right. Considers this text when answering this question, okay? I'm gonna, here's the question he's considering, okay? Where do you find the assurance that your needs will be met? Okay, so he's considering this text, and he's asking the question, where do we find our confidence, our assurance that our needs will be met? Where do you find it? Now, most of us find that confidence in ourselves. Amen? You find it in your own ability to work, to earn, and to take care of yourself. So your sense of financial security is tied up in your job, in your savings, in your investments, and in your retirement, right? Your assurance, your confidence, and your ability to have your needs met is in your personal ability to work, to earn, to save, to invest. Are you with me? Now, some of us in this room, if we're fortunate enough, inherit our confidence from our parents, or past relatives who accumulated wealth, built businesses, and learned how to pass that on. And I think many of us, that's what we would love to do. We would love to accumulate wealth, but also so that there's a generational legacy left behind so that our sons and our daughters and their grandsons, are you with me? Generational wealth. And so there are some of you in here, you don't have that luxury, and so you feel the pressure. And there are some of you in here, not saying that you're not a hard worker, but behind that, at the end of the day, you know that if everything were to fail, there's a safety net for you. 
right? I happen to be blessed, my family and my parents. And so I, I can take certain risks knowing that if I were to fall on the ground, my parents will pick me up. They'll slap me a little bit, but they'll pick me up. Some of you don't have that. And we can go on and talk about generational poverty and so on and so forth. But again, I got to stay here for a moment. But you see, it's not so with the followers of Christ. Hear me out. This might be a little radical. Followers of Christ are to find their assurance and financial security. Are you ready? In the grace of God. But God, Jesus isn't arbitrary. He isn't abstract. Like, it's in the grace. But they are to find their security. They are to find their financial assurance in the grace of God. Are you ready? At work within the church. So that nobody in the community of believers will go in desperate need. That's not how the church operates right now. Are you with me? But yet Paul and, and, and this, this professor looking at Paul is saying that our security, our, our assurance is, is not in, in, in our own pursuits for ourselves. But it's in the grace of God demonstrated by the people of God. I hope somebody's getting this. So what does that mean? That means that God's grace, are you ready? Frees the wealthy from the bondage of greed. God's grace frees the wealthy in this room from your greed and your materialism. And it frees you up so that you would be a conduit of grace. So the grace of God will flow to you and through you. While the grace of God simultaneously assures the needy in the room that being a part of the body of Christ means that you will never go without your essential needs being met. So if you're truly a part of a body as a believer, you shouldn't have to be insecure about your needs. But that's easy to say because the reality is that's not always so. This is not socialism. This is not the government forcing you to redistribute your wealth. This is the grace of God shining on the heart of believers so that they would want to give away so that nobody among them is in lack. This is not law compelling you. This is love. And we can go on and on. I can tell you about Jesus in Matthew 10. I could tell you about the book of Acts when the early church started in chapter 4, having everything in common, people selling their property so that the, laying it at the apostles' feet so that the needs could be distributed. Jesus said, Nobody who, who has lost mother and father in this life won't gain mothers and fathers. Nobody who's lost lands and properties in this life for my sake won't gain it back. And usually we focus on, yeah, in the future, in heaven. 
But that's not, Jesus says, in this life, you want to know why? Because he anticipates that anybody who comes to Christ will be placed into a community so that if you lose your mom, you lose your dad, you lose your property, you lose your finances, you are in a community full of moms, full of dads, full of brothers, full of sisters, full of properties, full of homes, full of bedrooms. I'm challenged by this. Personally. Personally. I mean, if we really believe the gospel, there should be no financial insecurity in this room, right? But we know that we live in our remaining flesh, amen, right? Where my flesh is at, all of us, we're in our flesh. We fighting it daily. During the, man, 15 minutes, huh? Jeez. During the pandemic, I was so proud of Inspire for many reasons. But I was especially proud of us because as things got more uncertain, we got more generous. And one of the ways we did this was by establishing a benevolence fund, really for the first time in Inspire's existence. And this fund was created strictly for the purpose of meeting essential needs of those members who were disproportionately affected during this time. During that time, we gave over $22,000, which again, you know, in proportion, but we gave over $22,000 of financial aid, right? We're providing rent, groceries, essential goods, emergency services to members and their families who are in desperate need. So every Sunday, when that basket is passed and those QR codes go up on the screen, you're not just giving to the facilities which is leaking right now. <laughs> You're not just giving to staff. You're not just giving to the tech. You're not just giving to the kids ministry, which is all beautiful stuff, right? But you're giving to the body of Christ so that if essential desperate need should arise, that we are able to meet that need without hesitation. Are you with me? This is why the Apostle Paul appeals to the church in Corinth. Because the church in Jerusalem, the saints in Jerusalem, they need help. They need relief. And so we move from the Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem, which needs the benevolence of the saints, to Paul's appeal to the church in Corinth. And here's something that's really interesting. He tells the church in Corinth, you excel at everything. I don't know if you caught that. What a compliment. I hope the Apostle Paul would look at Inspire one day and be like, man, y'all excel at everything. Right? I mean, think about it. We know churches that do a lot of things. That's not the question. Do a lot lot of things well. Because a lot of churches that do a lot of things and think that a lot of things is somehow bringing glory to Christ. But... They don't do some, a lot of those, they don't do very well, right? And I'm always, staff and others are always, you know, early on, the first couple of years of planting Inspire, it was always up for every front door, there's a back door. In other words, like we want to start new things, but God forbid we start new things and people are burnt out, people are frustrated, or the same three people is doing everything. 
So there have been a lot. Like this, we've been trying to kick off a youth mi- Okay. I'm just going to go today. If you're not a part of this body, just, you know, we've been starting to try to start a youth ministry for many years. The problem is we don't have capacity. And Roger, Philip, and Kat can't do it. And so that does affect, because if you're a young family, you want your kids to grow in the gospel more than just a Sunday, you want community or whatnot, it really does affect whether you feel like this is the right space for you. And, I, and by all means, are you with me? Okay, I need to. <clears throat> but but not this, this church excelled at everything, according to the Apostle Paul. What a compliment. Listen, they had knowledgeable teachers. They, they had gifted communicators. I mean, they were that church. Y'all know what that church is, right? <laughs> Programs for everybody. Small groups popping. State-of-the-art kidsmen facilities. Y'all ever been to that church? Like, man, you got a rocket. <laughs> right? Uh, preaching was on point. The worship music just gives you goosebumps. Right? Now, now but he, here's the thing. Though it seemed as if they excelled at everything, this is why I love Paul. Paul exposed their lack in one thing. He says, See to it that you excel in this grace also. You see what the Macedonians are doing? They're giving money away. You excel at everything but in giving money away. And here's the crazy thing, and I told you this early. If you continue to read the letter, you're going to find out that the church in Corinth had started collecting money, but then they stopped. And so Paul is actually saying, you need to complete, you need to finish, you need to what? Follow through. So Paul's appeal to the Corinthian church is a lesson to inspire church. How so? Well, the lesson is this, excel in your giving. Excel in your giving. Don't just start, but follow through and finish what you started. Amen? Now, I know I've been saying this, but if you don't mind, I want to address the leaders and members of Inspire Church this morning. So if you're not a leader, not a member, feel free to be a fly on the wall. Feel free to laugh. Just do it quietly. <laughs> um, I believe that for most of us in this room, just like the Corinthians, we want to give. And there have been moments and times and seasons where we're even eager to give. In fact, like the Corinthians, for many of you, I think you even started to give. But like the Corinthians, somewhere along the line, something happened. Right? We're not sure what happened to the Corinthians. But we can think what has happened to us. Right? Something caused us to stop. Something caused us to pause. Something caused us to give up giving. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you made a large purchase. Maybe your debt increased. Maybe your expenses have increased. Maybe it's the gas prices. Maybe it's inflation. Maybe you've just determined that you need to start saving more. Whatever it is, whether fear, anxiety, doubt, or greed, let's be honest, 
we have allowed it to interrupt our rhythms of generosity. And, and, and we've actually seen that take a toll at Inspire the last couple of years. We've actually literally seen that take a literal toll at our church the last couple of years. And so I guess for, my, for the members and leaders in this room, it, it's not the grace to start that seems to be the issue. It's the grace to follow through. We need the grace to follow through, especially if God is going to do what I think he's going to do in the next five years at our church. Like if God is going to do what I think he might do in the next five years, it's only because the grace of God is going to be demonstrated through the people of God and their generosity. Otherwise, we're going to be here. Listen, if we truly want the good of the city, we say it every week. If we really want the glory of God, if we want the mission and the vision of Inspired Church, are you ready to outlive us all? I'm just having conversations. Let's say, you know, what's the church planter's dream? The church planter's dream is that when I die, the church still lives. If we want future generations... When you are dead and you are gone, to look back and say, praise God for our grandpas and grandmas who pioneered the first eight years of this church. Praise God for our grandpas and grandmas in a leaky hotel. Praise God for them. We're standing on their backs. We're living in their legacy that they left behind for us. It's not just about you and your comfort. What if God sent you to be uncomfortable so that future generations could be comfortable? And yet we complain because we lack grace. Then if we're gonna if we're gonna do that. We're going to need grace. We're going to need grace on grace on grace on grace. You're going to need grace for me. (laughs) I'm going to need grace for you. We're going to need grace for each other. We're going to need grace to start. We're going to need grace to complete. We're going to need grace to follow through. So when Paul, going back to the letter, wanted to inspire the wealthy Corinthian church to follow through with their giving, he told them the story of the extraordinary generosity of the impoverished churches in Macedonia. Paul. Know what you're doing, Paul. Notice the words Paul uses to describe the churches in Macedonia. He tells us that they were experiencing severe affliction and extreme poverty. Wow. You see those words? Severe affliction. He actually calls that affliction a test. So there might have been persecution there. Something was going on for the cause of Christ that was troubling them persistently. But not only that, they were impoverished extremely. In fact, their circumstances were so bad that the text implies that Paul was like, nah, I'm not going to collect from these guys. 
it, it seems that Paul, in his thinking, thought to himself, when I make my campaign, <laughs> when I do my rounds, I'm probably going to skip over the churches in Macedonia. In fact, we might need to collect for them next. Are y'all with me? Now, you might be asking, well, where'd you get that from? Well, because the scripture tells us that they begged Paul. They pleaded with Paul. So the scripture says they begged with him, don't skip over us. Don't think because we are afflicted and because we are poor that we don't want to overflow in generosity. So they begged Paul. They pleaded with Paul to participate in the relief of the saints. My goodness, that's got to be the grace of God. That's not humanly possible there. And yet here they are. And so we see severe affliction and extreme poverty. And check this out, the next one, overflowing in a wealth of generosity. What? And here's the absolute best part. And you guys are doing great. Though they had, though they did not have very much money, right? And the money that they did have, they were literally giving it away. Look at what they did have. Go ahead to the next slide. What does that say? Hmm. Jeez. What do you want? What do you want? Severe affliction, extreme poverty, overflowing with generosity, abundance of joy. <laughs> I mean, who's really rich? Come on, Westerners, tell me, right? Come on, because it's all about the money here. Yeah. It just, I mean, it's just, it just being here, living here, it's just commercialized it's just it's here it's capitalism it's here this is what it's all about and yet look who's rich i love that it's so funny right notice he says extreme poverty and then he says they were begging to give right so he's using he's playing that word you would think someone who was poor would be begging to receive Beg, we, when we think of people poor, we think of beggars, we think of poor people. Here, here are the poor people begging to give. I could, again, we could stay here all day. I want to keep going. It's almost like the more money they gave away, the more happier they became. Now, how were they able to give so much away? Like, what, what, what was, what's, what's the secret? Well, Paul says in verse 5, before they gave their money away, they had already given themselves away. They had already given themselves away. They were already empty of themselves. So that by the time the ask was made, giving away was not even a thing because they were already empty. Because they had already given their life to Christ. That's what he says. He says, number one, they, they gave themselves, he says, first to the Lord. If you read the text, and I know I'm not putting it up here, but that's what he says. He says, they were able to give money away to the point of overflowing in generosity despite their extreme poverty. Why? Well, because they have gave themselves first to the Lord. And who's the Lord? They gave themselves first to Christ. You see, the moment you put your faith in Jesus, you made him Lord over everything. Didn't you? Including your wallet. Yes, yes. And Jesus said it plainly. Pastor Roger mentioned in Matthew 6. No one can serve two masters. For either you'll hate one and love the other. Or you'll be devoted to one. 
and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. And so when they had given their life to Christ, they said, I give it all to you already. Nothing I have belongs to me. You are Lord over my body. That's another sermon for another time. You are Lord over my property. You are Lord over my savings account. You are Lord over my time, my talent, my treasure. It all belongs to you. So that when the church is in need because I already belong to you. Here's the second thing, right? They gave themselves to the Lord and then Paul said, by God's will, they gave themselves to us. So not only did they love the Lord, but they loved Christ's church. And I think it's easier to tell a room about loving God. It's a little harder to talk about loving the church. It says that in the text, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by God's will to us. You see the two loves there? They loved Christ and they loved his church. Let me ask you a question. Do you love the church? Do you love the church? This is going to be difficult, but I got to be a little obedient this morning. Amen. We got a lot of attenders but not many contributors. Are you with me? We got a lot of folk who love being recipients recipients of grace, but not a lot of folks who reciprocate grace. Can I say that? Speaking of excellent churches, we want excellent churches. Right? I'm going to need some help. I hope y'all still love me. I hope y'all still come back next Sunday. If you don't, understand. We want excellent experiences. We want solid programming. We want passionate greeters enthusiastic kidsmen workers. We want student ministries, but we don't want to volunteer. We, we, we want to see our church feeding the homeless, doing more in the city. Well, at the same time, hot coffee, tasty refreshments, maybe healthy snack options for the kids, but we don't want to give. We want to be recipients of grace, but we don't want to reciprocate that grace. Right? We, we don't want to be conduits. We want to be called, invited. Oh, come on. We want to be cared for, prayed for, checked in on, followed up with. Which is, is I, that's honorable. But we don't want to go to groups. We don't want to show up for prayer nights. We attend Sundays infrequently. And when we do come, we're the last to get here. Because at 10 a.m., this place looks like a ghost town. I know, I know, I know. It does. I'm gonna, since I'm getting so many claps... From all the Pharisees in the room. Kidding. I'm kidding. I'm just saying, 
I would love to worship with my family. I'd love to look behind me and see it full. I would love for you to show up even though you're not serving on Sunday. So, you know, I'm serving. If newcomers come in, it's a ghost town. I know. I got to stop. Babe, you're supposed to stop me. You got a mask on, so I can't see your face. That's why. <laughs> I love y'all. I do. And I get it. See, and that's, I always have to go back because I, you know, the Holy Spirit, you know, like, I have to check myself, right? Because there could be all kinds of things going on in me. Promise I'm doing my best to be obedient, right? I want correction, but I also want to make sure the grace of God. I mean, does this ruin yourself? No. Come whenever you want. But I'm just saying, like, if you can, if possible, it's tough. There's some single moms. You got a lot to do, a lot of kids. I mean, Sunday mornings, the enemy is fine. I mean, we were driving up here and our radiator got messed up. You know what I'm saying? Not mine personally, but somebody I was coming with. So things happen, okay? I get that. But I'm just talking about the pattern, right? The consistency, the, the, the you know the motivation of your hearts. We, we, we want to be recipients of grace. But, but we don't want to reciprocate. Reciprocate. I can't even say the word of grace. Does that make sense? Yeah. No doubt this is hard to hear. But again, let me ask you a question. Do you love your church? Do, do, you, do you get fed by the ministry of the word? Are your kids growing in the gospel? Do prayer nights inspire you? Groups encourage you? Leadership events equip you? Do you believe that what we do in the city matters? How much does this community mean to you? Then I appeal to you in the same way Paul appealed to the church in Corinthian. Prove it. That's what Paul said. That's what he said. It's not my words. It's the Holy Spirit. Inspiring. Paul, look, verse 8 says this. Prove that your love is genuine. How do I, by excelling in this act also. How could a poor church outgive a wealthy church? A wealthy church that was excelling in everything. How is that possible? How could they love Christ and love Christ's church so much that they're willing to give everything away? The answer is found in the very first verse. We want you to know, brothers, about, ready, the grace of God. I invite the team to come forward. How is it possible to do what I am asking in a world of busyness? Amen? Are we busy? We're busy in a world of chaos, in a world where we're just trying to survive, right? We're living paycheck to paycheck. We're going to work. We're coming home. We have bills to pay, mouths to feed, drama at the job, family dysfunction. You know what I'm saying? Man, how did, how how, and then now you're asking me to volunteer and you're asking me to give, you know what I'm saying? Like, how is it possible? We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God 
that has been given among the churches of Macedonia? The answer is only by God's grace. Because if grace isn't empowering you, then you're just going to get frustrated and angry when you're doing it. You're going to do it out of obligation. You're going to do it because Pastor Phil said and he's such a punk. And You know what I'm saying? Only by the grace of God. You think a lot of us think of grace as like this stagnant, I don't know, like love. Or just this idea that Jesus died for us and it's a gift and it's free. But the scripture uses grace not just as a gift, but an enabling, empowering, supernatural ability. So that as you, as you, as you are thinking of Christ, as you are adoring your Savior, as you are meditating on his life and his death and his resurrection, as you are looking at how he impoverished himself, as you, you what do I mean by him impoverishing himself? Like he, he left heaven and came to earth and physically was born into a poor family, born in a dirty trough. Right? But, but it wasn't just a physical impoverishment. Like, he left glory, eternity, and he put on flesh. And some of the divine attributes. Are you with me? He, he, he put them to the side. He laid them to the side. He impoverished himself, but that's not enough. He subjected himself, the God, the universe, the king of the world, the creator that holds all things together according to Colossians, put himself in the hands of those he created while they mocked him, spit on him, bruised him, humiliated him, stripped him naked, and crucified him to the cross. And then God, and we could talk about this theologically, died. So that you could become exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond what you can think of or imagine, wealthy. So that you can inherit eternity. So that you can say, this life is not it. This isn't it. For some of you, for all, most of you in this room, we, we, I hope this life is, can't be it. Because if this life is it, then yeah, hoard all the money you can spend, all the money you can spend, buy all, this is your heaven, make it your heaven. But for those of us who trust Christ, we know this is not it. What happens as you begin to trust and believe in the truth of the gospel, the grace that Christ has given to us, all of a sudden becomes an empowerment inside of us. There's a power, a Holy Spirit power, extraordinary, non-human, unexplainable, that all of a sudden people who are afflicted are happy 
People who are poor are generous. What gives? That's not, you can't explain that. And yet, it is the grace of God. And so today, your job as we pray is not to beat yourself up when you leave because you're failing in these areas. That's not the goal. The goal is to ask the Lord for grace to do what your humanity sometimes doesn't want to do. To become what your flesh is trying to stop you from becoming. And you don't have to dot all the I's and cross all the T's. But just step and start. And to be what Christ has called you to be for the short little time that you're on this earth. So that when you stand before Christ, you can lay those crowns down before his feet. And while you're up there in front of him, generations down here are blessed because you gave your life. You spent your life generously. Not so Philip could live in a big house and drive in a Benz. Not so that Inspired Church could be this huge, just so that we could accomplish what we feel God has called us to accomplish. So we could be what God has called us to be. Amen. I just want to pray for our church and Heavenly Father. I'm, I'm thinking about Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. And he talking about the Macedonian church who first gave themselves to the Lord. And Lord, we can't give ourselves to each other. We can't love the imperfect church. It's really difficult. We can't find the time. We can't find the money to give more, to serve more, all that. So, but we can first serve the Lord. We can't move to serving others and loving others and, and, and giving more. Lord, we can't move to that until we first give ourselves to you. And as a result your grace would begin to stir us up in ways that we thought were not humanly possible. And so, Lord, I pray for every individual member in this room, every individual person in this room. Holy Spirit, I pray Christ would be glorified, magnified in this room. And Lord, we pray and we take serious, your kingdom come, your will be done in Union City, in the East Bay as it is in heaven. Would you give us, like the Macedonians, we, we beg, we plead, would you give us the honor to participate in the relief of the saints, to participate in the edifying of the body, to participate in the expanding of the kingdom. Because you have enriched us. You have enriched us. There's no fear, no worry, no doubt, because we have inherited from our Father and from our Savior. And it's been that inheritance has been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Our future is secure, set, and safe. And so we can risk gladly, knowing that the reward is greater than the risk. Lord, I pray that you would overwhelm this church like the Macedonian church with just grace. May we move in grace in everything that we do. We love you. 
We honor you. We give you praise, King Jesus, because you are worthy of it all. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Inspired Church, you made it. God bless you. Thank you for the grace you've extended to me. Visitors, we love you. We hope you come back. Have a wonderful Sunday. God bless. May God's word continue to challenge and bless you throughout your day. Thank you for tuning in. And if you'd like to give to help us meet our match, please give at inspirechurches.com. Have a beautiful day.